Well, friends, we are continuing in our series in the letter of 2 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament, and uh, it's the, the second, well, it's the, the latter third of the Bible, uh, and it's about halfway through that latter third, so I don't know math that well, but that's, that's in there. Uh, and so uh, we've been at this for a number of weeks now, and uh, we are doing a, a partnering series with the Christian church here in town as a form of unity among brothers and sisters in Jesus to be kind of tracking with the same stuff that we're learning. Uh, we, I, I meet with their pastors and we kind of coordinate, but we don't preach the exact same sermon. So what you get here isn't what they get there, but we're covering the same material. Now, in 2 Corinthians, one of the big factors that we need to keep in mind from the very beginning is that this is a letter to comfort believers in Jesus. Uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that we have in Scripture, uh, it was a letter of correction where he had come alongside the the people there. He planted that church, and that, well, that didn't go so well uh, because after leaving that place, things kind of erupted into chaos, and he ended up having to write this letter saying, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Fix this now. Uh, and there's a number of things on your own time. You can go back and read uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians. It's a great read, a uh, little convicting at times uh, for all of us. None of us get out alive there. Uh, but we have this letter, 2 Corinthians. And just as a point of review, you can go to the next slide. Uh, we're not going to go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, we're now at the point where we're starting to just kind of go a few weeks back. And so a couple of weeks ago, we learned that saved people witness to a captivating, life-giving gospel, that the good news about Jesus, it, it is so good and life-giving, it actually it captivates us. It's like we are slaves to that good news. Paul uses that kind of an imagery in that through our lives, living our lives for Jesus, we, we I use the word emit because it's like we just, we radiate this, this good news, this life from our lives because of what the gospel has done in our life. And we'll talk about that more today. Last week, we learned that Christ followers embody new covenant life, that uh, this isn't just all by accident, that God, who is a promise-keeping, uh, making and a promise-keeping God, uh, he, had, he had foreshadowed, foretold, that there was going to come this new covenant that was going to far surpass the, the other covenants. And we'll get more to that in a moment. But that the, the big marker for this covenant, the new covenant, is that it was going to be marked by life, not death. Where what had been experienced before was death, now they were going to experience life. And that all brings us to today. And you can go to the next slide. The title for today's message is How Much More? How Much More? Uh, you've used, heard me use that kind of a phrase before. It's something that, uh, it's not a question, it's a statement um, where you're comparing two things and you're saying, if this is this way, how much more 
this. And, and you're trying to emphasize the greater of this other thing while also acknowledging the value of this other, you know, lesser thing. So how much more? Our passage is going to be 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 11. Uh, and our big idea is that Christ's covenant transforms hearts and lives by the Spirit's power. Christ's covenant transforms hearts and lives by the Spirit's power. You can go to the next slide. To get our minds around this idea, there's a word that's going to come up in our passage. It's the word glory. It's the Greek word doxa. Uh, and usually uh, it's translated uh, brightness or, you know, that kind of glory, that sheen, that shine kind of thing. Um, but as I was doing my study this week, uh, I found that uh, maybe the word is better understood as the idea of like fullness and completeness. Um, that uh, it's not just the idea of radiating something or like exuding some kind of light, but that it's like you're experiencing the fullness of this thing. And this makes me think of the idea that a picture is worth a thousand words, right? We've all heard that phrase before. Um, or every picture tells a story, don't it? Um, the great words of uh, Rod Stewart. <laughs> and, uh, and this, I, I wanted to, we could pick, pick any picture in the whole wide world, but I wanted to compare these two because there's really some, some experiences that happen when you're out in the country on some kind of country road. If you are just looking at the picture, it might, you know, emote some kind of like peacefulness, sereneness, you know, a pastoral landscape kind of thing, you know. Uh, that's why so many people love Thomas Kincaid paintings <laughs> and, um, from way back in the day. And so you have this, this idea of a country road where if you saw a picture of it, there's a certain experience that you have just by looking at the picture. But how much more if you were literally standing on that country road? Imagine with me that the grass had just been cut. And so you get that nice, sweet smell of fresh cut grass, the wind blowing through the trees, blowing past your hair, maybe tossing you a little bit. You could literally go down uh, on the ground and like pick up some rocks and feel the hardness of the rocks. You could pick up, like get your hands all dirty with some nice good soil because that's what the country has to offer is good, rich, life-giving soil, right? Um, you could go up to that kind of, you know, uh, fence that's there and you could literally prick your finger on, you know, the barbed wire or get zapped by the electric fence, <laughs> you know, there's, but there would be a real life lived experience if you literally, the fullness of doing that versus just a picture. Contrast to this uh, in the city, the sights and sounds of a city. Uh, this is a picture in downtown Portland. I'm not exactly sure where that's at, but I'm sure I've walked by it uh, at some point as a college student way back when. Um, but this is a guy walking by a, a coffee shop. And imagine with me that you're walking by, and if you've ever been in the city or, or in a pleasant experience of the city, and, um, you know, you're walking, there's the hustle and bustle of, like, feet, people 
uh, walking by you, getting to where they need to go, but then the smell of all the food carts and just the aroma of all the different ethnic food that's there. There's curry in the air. It's awesome. Also, the smell of roasting coffee or brewing coffee. And uh, this would have been in the, the spring or summertime, so you have kind of that, that sweet, polleny smell that for most of us we, we run away from because we have allergies. But, you know, in the city, it, it's self-contained, and so you can kind of be okay with it. And you, you hear conversations going on around. I don't want to belabor the point, but if we just see a picture of this, that's one experience. But how much more really experiencing it, really living it, really getting to personally engage with that thing. So Paul is going to set up this idea of a comparison between the old covenant and the new covenant. And he's going to use the phrase, how much more? And the idea behind it, spoiler alert, is that he's wanting to submit to you and I through this letter that through the gospel, through the new covenant, we get to experience real life, the real glory of this life, life as it's meant to be, life as it's supposed to be in God's kingdom. So with that, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. If you'd like to follow along on the screen, you're welcome to do that. Here we go. Paul, picking up in verse 7, says, Now, if the ministry of death... Oh, hold on a moment. So it's not going to be up on the screen, but I want to give some context here. So we're going to start at the beginning of chapter 3. Uh, Paul says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Picking up in verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory. And we'll stop there. So the first thing I see in our passage 
is this idea of the ministry of death with works. And so <clears throat> taking that idea of the old covenant, what was presented to the people by Moses was written on tablets of stone. Think Charlton Heston, Cecil B. DeMille, you know, the Ten Commandments. And so uh, he brings the commandments down from having spent 40 days uh, on, you know, fasting and praying and receiving God's law, spending time with the Lord, brings the commandments down. People are acting a fool. Um, and uh, so Moses ends up breaking the tablets. He has to go back up on the mountain to receive them again. And he's like, if y'all can hold it together, I'm going to go get them again. So he goes up again. He gets the tablets and um, he comes back down and he issues the law to them. Now, what's fascinating about that interaction, you can read more about it in Exodus chapter 34 uh, and 36 and in that range of the book of Exodus. However, is that when Moses came down off the mountain, his face was radiant, shining like the sun, so powerful that people were like, we can't even stand it. Moses put a cover on. And so, uh, but in just like, just the radiant, like, doxa shining brilliance, fullness, if you will, of having spent time with the Lord. And so Moses would cover his face with a veil when he would go to speak with the people. But what he brought with him was out of glory, out of this glorious moment with the Lord. He brought it to the people, and the word of God to the people, the way they would have received it was that, oh, death. Like, I can't do that. Like, if you were to read the Ten Commandments today, what, whatever your feelings about them might be, um, some of us might be like, I'm good. I'm doing okay. I'm a pretty good person. But then somewhere along the way, none of us get out alive, do we? somewhere, somewhere in that top 10, we fail. If, we, if we're good with the first nine, somehow coveting's right there to get us. Like a sneaky, sneaky ninja. And so this ministry of death with works, what I mean by that is that what the law did, it was, it was a tool, it was, first of all, it's literally true, that's what God expects. That's perfect righteousness and holiness. And yet, when we look at that, it's kind of like this guy up here on the screen kind of looking at this insurmountable flat surface of a wall to climb. And it's like, I can't do that. I got no hope to do that. I, I, there's no way. <laughs> I don't even have my tactical gear to even try. Like, I could maybe do my best efforts, but at some point, I'm just going to slide right back down. And now maybe we could do the whole, you know, team building exercise where we all work together and we end up getting everybody to the top. But at the same time, still on my own, I can't do that. I can't scale and match and meet that level of, of rightness in, in line with God's word. I'm going to miss it every time. If not in one area, in another area. So now, so we have God's glory. We have 
this is kind of where really we see a glimpse of the gospel at work in, in the Old Testament is that so there's God's glory, which is perfect and brilliant and beautiful. But the problem is we fall short because of sin that we have in our life. Because we have this thing called a sin nature where no matter what we want to do, our bent is toward wrong every time. Even if we mean for good, like there's, it's, it's tainted somehow every way. And that's terrifying because that means that even on my best day, I'm not good and neither are you. Hate to break that to you, but you know. Um, but there are people where it's like, they think, no, no, I'm good. I'm doing okay. Like, I'm a good person. Surely the man upstairs is going to really, he's going to like me. And we're, we're going to come to an agreement and it's going to be okay. No. Even the good people, even, believe it or not, someone like Mother Teresa, she knew she was a sinner. And, and she was a, a pretty awesome lady and did a lot of awesome things in the name of Christ, but she still knew that she needed a savior. So now, here's this, this thing, though. So that's the old covenant in a nutshell. And, you know, as Paul would, would describe it in a nutshell, that's the old covenant because what the temporary answer that the old covenant gave was a system of works. If you do this, then here's the sacrifice or offering that, that covers that thing. If you, and, you know, once per year, they would have this thing called the Day of Atonement. And assuming that, you know, God accepted the offering and everything, the whole nation would be okay for one year. Uh, but that, so, but that had to be re-upped every year. And so there's this beautiful thing in Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is the last book of what's called the Pentateuch. Uh, it's the fifth book that Moses wrote. Um, and in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, Moses writes, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And skipping down to verse 11, it says, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that you may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. And in this section of Deuteronomy, Moses is challenging the people, saying, choose life, not death. But in this portion, there's this foreshadowing that God is going to do something in the hearts of his people to mark the covenant inside of them so that inside of them, they can then go and do the right things that God had commanded them to do. 
We see this later on in Ezekiel chapter 36, something about 30s today. 36 verse 25, uh, the prophet is writing, uh, and God is speaking, saying, I will sprinkle clean water on you, meaning the people of God. God is speaking to them, saying, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, hallelujah, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And like we read last week from, there's a passage in the, the prophet Jeremiah where the reason God needed to give a new covenant is because the people broke the old one. They weren't able to live up to it. And that's because the covenant was out there and the word of God was out there. It wasn't in here. And so God, God's glory was there, true, awesome, perfect. There was the problem of our sin. And yet God gave us a shadow of what was to come. Even in all those Old Testament sacrifices and the sacrificial system and everything, all of that points to Jesus. All of that points to the cross. All of that points to the new covenant that we have. And so Christ's covenant transforms hearts and lives by the Spirit's power because that's what God's plan was all along. He knew we couldn't do it. He knew that the law would only bring us death because we couldn't do it on our own. We can't. We don't have the power to do it on our own. We're helpless. We need help. So that brings us to our next point, is the ministry of righteousness with faith. And so God had a plan to redeem his people, to rescue them. This is the gospel, that he knew that they were so lost in, in, in their sin, and that you and I, as, as people, I'm assuming who are not Jewish, <laughs> you know, uh, that we were so lost in our sin, that we needed rescue. We could not do it on our own. We did not have that higher power, Jesus, to rescue us. We needed a Savior. But not only that, but Jesus points out in the Gospel of John chapter 3 that we must be born again. And we get kind of this foreshadowing of what, again, of what God is wanting to do. He's wanting to change our hearts because if the law is out here and it's condemning us and there, you know, we are ashamed of the things that we do because we can't measure up, God wants to help us by his grace saying, I'm going to live for you, I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to rise again for you so you can have new life. Not only that, I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of you to make you new from the inside out, regenerate you, and restore you into my family. So that, like the prophet Ezekiel had said, so that we can walk in God's statutes perfectly. Not that we are perfect, but God in us is helping us by his power to walk this journey of faith. And so I know it's really cheesy because 
Uh, if you've been in uh, Christian circles for a long time, I'm sure you found one of those tracks, like Steps to Peace with God or something. And there's usually this, this illustration of these two hills where God's on one hill and we're on another hill and there's this great chasm between us. And, and I know it's cheesy, but it's a great illustration where, where there was no way for us to get to God on our own effort. God made a way through the cross. So that just by our faith, by us turning to God, admitting, yep, I can't do it on my own. I need to put my faith and trust in you because you are able to forgive my sin. You're able to do what I can't do on my own. That is the ministry of the new covenant where there is righteousness that can really be lived. Not just our best efforts, but like God can actually help us live rightly and in line with his word, walking in his ways. And that's good news because I know I can't do it on my strength and I'm sure you can't either. Even the best people in the world, like picture that best person that you've ever met in your entire life because none of us have met Mother Teresa, I'm pretty sure. But like think of the best person you've ever met in your whole life. That person still falls short. And yet that person, if they put their faith and trust in Jesus, he's going to help them by giving them a new heart and a new life to now walk this, this, this life of faith not just on our own strength, but by his spirit. So Christ's covenant transforms hearts and lives by the spirit's power. That's the glory of the new covenant. Now, living in light of the new covenant, what does that mean? It means that it's kind of like this. This isn't the illustration up on there because... It is what it is, but um, it's kind of like if you're in the, imagine you're in this dark room and you have a flashlight, you turn on the flashlight because it's dark in there, of course. But then imagine somebody flips on the lights and the room is just flooded with light. That's a lot like what the new covenant is. The old covenant was the flashlight that we had. We were in this dark world. We had the light of God's word. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. We had God's word and we shone that light as best we could. And now with the new covenant, God turns on the floodlight and now we get the brightness. Now we get the fullness. Now we get to see and experience that full picture of what life is really meant to be by his spirit. And one of the ways we do that, one of the ways we remember that new covenant is through the act of communion. This, this very simple practice that Jesus gave to his disciples, we remember the new covenant in his blood. Let's pray. Let's pray.